This is Capital City with Capital J. You're damn right it is. <laughs> Capital City. It's Capital City Podcast. I'm your host, Capital J, alongside my main man, DL Glass. And we're in the building. Yes. We try to keep it interesting around here, you know what I mean? We hit a whole lot of different topics, and we like to hit them from an angle that other people are not hitting them from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we got a special guest in the house, somebody that can shed a little bit of light on the independent grind. Okay. You know what I'm saying? A man who who has done a lot of independent work for years and years and years, traveled all over the place. He understands the game. Mm-hmm. So he's going to help you understand what it takes to make it out here without major label support. It's a grind, a true grind. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to the dopest MC that you might not have heard of, Brandon D. What up, what up, what up, what up? What's happening, my brother? All good, man. All good. Okay, now I'm I'm gonna give the people a little bit of background, then I'm gonna let you carry on with your own story, and then we'll meet back together. And and talk about the grind, all right? Gotcha. Now, first I want to tell you how I know this cat. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to Greensboro. Greensboro's got a, a, a vibrant hip-hop community. Right. And Brandon D is very much part of it, as was I. Mm-hmm. Now, me being on the radio, independent artists, you know, they bring me a lot of work. And you remember we had a show. We talked about what, you know, what would make you play or not play independent artists on the radio. Right. Well, Brandon D was one of those cats that always came with all the boxes checked. Oh, uh, radio He's ready. All the time. Okay. Always had clean, dirty. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was always pressed up. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? He just, you know, and so Brandon D Stick made it, it easy. He made it easy for me to play his stuff. Stuff sounded good, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't it, it there wasn't a big quality difference between the stuff he was giving me and, and stuff I was already playing for major labels. Right. So and not to mention he spit that fire. And was no envelopes being passed. Nah, nah. Nah. Brandon D, hey, now we, we talked about this on the show. I never charged nobody to play nothing. Did you, now am mm-hmm. I lying? Nah, I can validate that. Right. Nah, I, I never. I don't ask nobody for nothing but good music. Mm-hmm. If you give me good music, then we in the game. So they um, he was working on this song called the Cack Joint. Hmm. And when I heard it, I'm like yo, like I I'd heard a lot of music, right? That I like, but this one right here, right? You know, I feel I I would like to credit myself with knowing a hit when I hear it. Now, do you think you were biased because of? No, not at all. Because I, okay. I've got. Nah, I, I don't think. Oh, go ahead. I don't think we really knew each other like that at that point either. No, nah, no, nah, I knew of him, and I knew all his people because right. um, Brandon D is related to a lot of people that I knew. Uh, Jay White did a lot of promotion in Greensboro. I knew him, and uh, Eli, who Will Ski referenced. Mm-hmm. How are you related to Eli, Brandon? Eli is my mother's brother. Okay, 
So Eli is another um, cat that's pretty important to the early days of hip hop in North Carolina. He's around a lot and is still very active. You know, imagine Anthony Hamilton and whatnot. And um, so I was familiar with everybody around him. And uh, Showdown, um, you know, used to make Showdown did a few of your tracks back in the day, right? Yeah. So I used to be like a hype man for Showdown back in the day before um, before I started recording my own music. Right. So this is probably how how we came to know each other because um, I, I met Billy D through Showdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met Showdown first, and all these cats I'm meeting. These are this is a a group of MCs that I hadn't previously had a whole lot of experience with. Mm-hmm. So I remember when Showdown gave me his record, I was like, yo, this is some hot fire. I'm playing this. Showdown's another guy. Always came with everything. All the boxes checked already. Right. So he put me on to a whole new crew of people. I knew all the, the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. And so I meet Brandon D., and I hear this song. I'm like, yo, I'm going to do everything I can to get this joint popping. Because I've heard a lot of songs. And, you know, a lot of people try to shout out their hometown. And right. it doesn't always work. Right. You know? Right. The CAC joint was major fire. So I dropped that joint on the radio. Well, that's why I asked about the bias. Because it was CAC. Well, like I said, man, it's been I've had probably 100 North Carolina songs. Right. Only about four, three or four, mm-hmm. really kind of stuck out to me. Okay. You know, you're talking about Petey Pablo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to turn off your alerts. I said, I'm going to buzz my brain. <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, you had, you had Petey Pablo, of course. Um, and that song went national, you know, raise up. It was all about North Carolina, but uh, locally, a lot of people tried it before, and it just you know, just wasn't wasn't that great all the time, right? And this song was great. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing it on the radio, and you know, being on the radio, I get to meet people all over the country who are record promoters and A and R's and this right. and that. So um, this dude was who was that passing through, Brandon? That heard that song on the radio. That was that was Core Digger. And Cord- let me let me let me dive into the story even a little bit more. So we at Billy D House. I don't know if you remember that, Captain, but we was at Billy D's crib, and um, and Jay White he might have introduced us and said, "Yo, Cap, you got to check this out," and puts the song on, and you like, "Yo, I'm gonna play this," and I think. Your show, I want to say your show was Friday night. You like, yo, I'm going to play this Friday when I get to the radio station. So that all that week or whatever the days was between that day and Friday, nigga, when I tell you we told everybody to turn into tune into the radio station, I mean, everybody we knew, my mom, grandma, cousins, everybody from my hood, like, Everybody, we blowing everybody up. Like, yo, my joint gonna be on the radio. And from what I heard, <laughs> you switched shifts that night. <laughs> oh, I, so I went you, on Saturday instead of Friday. Yeah, that week. you didn't. You didn't go on Friday. 
And we had told everybody to tune in and listen on Friday. And then people just started hitting us back like, yo, what's up, man? Where, where you to the point where I just cut my phone off? You but know, you I say, didn't realize you know, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's how it went down. So it was to the point where I cut my phone off. And then Saturday, I don't know if you switched. I, I can't remember if it was you. I know Showdown was on the air. I guess it had to be you DJing. Uh-huh. And um and y'all played the record, but Saturday we ain't tell nobody. <laughs> we was just like, yo, just oh, go have wow. it. <laughs> yeah. But um so you y'all dropped the record and I think it played halfway through and then y'all dropped it from the top. And while this is going on, uh my man Core Digger happens to be driving. He Core Digger is working for Electra Records at the time. Core Digger happens to be driving from New York to Atlanta and is in the listening area when the song plays. And he says he is basically like, like he, he's almost out of the listening area, the listening area, like where the record is starting to cut out. And he vibing to it so much that he pull over on the highway and just start making calls like, yo, who is this? I got to find this kid and gets in touch with Sean D. And then Sean D connects us, and like from there, got a record deal, bro. Hey, Court Digger called me that night before I got off the air. Mm. You see what I'm saying, right? So yeah. I'm I put him in touch with Sean D. Mm. <laughs> Unless they already knew each other, but I that you know that was the the name that I gave him mm. to, you know, right. Set things off because Sean D handled all the business <laughs> back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay, yeah. So, so, and you know something now that you told me that that night I switched shifts and did Friday night. I mean Saturday night instead of Friday. That's crazy because you're talking about things happening for a reason. <laughs> if right. I, if I'm on Friday night, all your people in Greensboro are here, but Court Digger does it. <laughs> right. Right. And not to mention, like, bro, this is like, so this is my first solo record ever. So this is my first solo record ever. And this the first time it plays on the radio. And I get a record deal with Electric Records on the strength that Cap J spun the record, just heard the record and said, yo, I'm going to play it. Wow. And end up getting a major record deal with Electra Records. Well, I won't say a major record deal. I got a single deal with Electra Records. Capital J. <laughs> Flew to New York like two weeks later. I mean, this Sylvia is Capital Rome's C office. It's Capital J. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, in Sylvia Rome's office, like two weeks later, me and Jay White, they flew us up in New York. She got this crazy corner office overlooking all of Manhattan. I'm mm. talking about like 20-foot-tall windows. She got these wild, big speakers. The speakers had to be at least eight feet tall. And, like, I'm just looking at this older lady in this office in Manhattan bumping this record and going crazy. And, like, we signed a single deal, man. <laughs> yes, indeed, man. That's that's uh, right. a... And that, what year was this? This had to be 2001, 2002 type time. Wow. What happened with the deal? 
So the deal goes through. All right. So first off, like the record was a Billy Joel sample. My cousin Jay White was riding with my uncle Greg. And Greg, you know, he one of them old school dudes. He older than us. And he just playing old school music. And Jay White hit a record. It's, on, it's called Anthony Song. It's a Billy Joel record called Anthony Song. Okay. And Jay White like, yo, what is this? And my Uncle Greg tell him what it is. And Jay White bring it to me like, Brandon, you got to flip this, yo. You got to flip this. So I just start writing to it crazy. Take it to my man, uh, King James. He chopped the beat up the way I wanted it. Hmm. And that was it. And then like maybe two days after that, we run into Cap J. But um, so we get the deal at Electra. Like I said, it's a Billy Joel sample. So this, this. This is a key right here. One of the major keys to independent success is making sure that either A, you don't use a sample, or B, your sample is cleared. But um, so it's a Billy Joel record. Billy Joel wants $50,000 and 100% of the publishing on the record. And in addition to that, he wow. wants he wants a clean version of the record. Like, he don't want no profanity in the record. But wow. in that process, it took them about six months to track him down to get the sample cleared. Okay. Right? So now, from signing and all this initial hype and all of this, you know, the 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 clearance takes six months. Well, just that part of the clearance. So then I re-record the record, take all the cursing out. We had Anthony Hamilton sing the hook version of it so it ain't have his voice on it like we went through all type of changes right and then so now i got this second version of the record and they want to track him down again to let him hear it so they track him down this take another six months so now a whole year has passed they track him down he hears the record again he likes the record record gets approved so boom so we like, all right, we off to the races. Like, we got a deal. It's about to go down. It's going down. So then um, there's a tour coming up. So they decide to send me on tour. I go on tour with Ludacris. It's the Chicken and Beer Tour. Ludacris, Chingy, who was popping at the time. Um, what's his name? David Banner. And this dude, um, Nocturnal, who from the West Coast. Uh, I remember Not. I remember Nocturnal. He came to the yeah. station one day and told me Snoop Dogg wears extensions. I can't confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, so I'm on tour with all this happening all fast. Guys. Well, it's been. A, it, it, I, I wouldn't say fast because it's a year. A whole year past. Right? Oh, it sounds sound fast when I'm telling the story, but it was like an excruciating long time in real life. Right. <laughs> so, what but, were um, you doing? What were you doing when you made the the track? Like, where were you in life? Uh, we was broke. Yeah, we was broke. I was sleeping on my mom's floor. It was, um, yeah, we was. Working at like I think Jay White was selling sneakers and we was working like third shift at like FedEx or something. You know, the check it was a single deal, so it wasn't like it was crazy. Like we okay. might have got a five G advance that covered this sample for fifty thousand 
And then they planning to put mad money in the promo and video and all of that stuff, right? Okay. So now I'm out on tour with Nocturnal. Um, Nocturnal, Ludacris, all of them. But I'm basically like a hype man for Nocturnal, but I, we still out there promoting ourselves, right? Because we on the tour bus, everything. <laughs> so we press up like 5,000 CDs to pass out while we on tour just to get the name out there, right? Right. And then in the midst of this tour, bro, like in the middle, well, I won't say in the middle of this tour, but towards the end of this tour, Electra Records gets purchased by Warner Music, Warner Chapel, I want to say. Warner Chapel buys Electra Records. And everybody that wasn't a major priority, just like, it's just over for you. Mm. It's over for you. So now we've pressed up 5,000 CDs and we I ended up leaving the tour because so now it's kind of common knowledge that like, you know, it's real gang banging and all that going on in the industry. But at that time, you know, it just wasn't common knowledge like that. But yeah. Nocturnal and his crew, they uh -huh. were real deal street niggas from L.A., like gang bangers. Right. But so you got some dudes that's like bloods, and then you got some dudes that's crips. So like these, I mean, this is the wildest experience I ever had in my life. They fighting on the bus, like it's gang shit going on. I mean, they inviting chicks on the bus, and, and I mean, just I, I can't even express some of the, the lawlessness that was going on, but it basically made me say, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm gonna get off this bus, man. When we we passed through North Carolina, y'all let me off because I think the tour started like we started in the Midwest, like Chicago, and went through a few cities. Then we came down through like New York and Boston, and then we was coming back through the Cat. So I'm like, yo, I'm out, man. So I leave the tour with most of the five thousand CDs, and when we get back home, it's like, damn, what are we gonna do with all these CDs? And that's where the independent grind start. I'm like, yo, I can go sell these CDs. <laughs> and right. that's what I did. That's that's where I started selling CDs from that moment. Hey, before we get into that, tell me a little bit, like I know a lot of a lot of people listening don't know like how's the compensation when you're on tour like that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, I mean, for me, it wasn't nothing for real because I was a hype man. Like, I was trying to get my foot in the door. You so, know what I mean? So your when, compensation so, was being there pretty much. Exposure. Right. Exposure is the compensation. And that's a lot of the situation for a lot of artists when you're trying to get in the door. Not even trying to get in the door. You might be signed. You might be popping. Everybody might know who you are, but they're sending you out on what's called a promo tour. And that's when a lot of artists are stopping through the radio stations or they going on tour, they opening up for another artist and whatnot. A lot of times that's free. I mean, you just doing that strength. You doing that on the strength of being able to get your name out there and build your fan base and get the exposure. Right. Like a lot of people don't know that a lot of these station concerts, the artists come through and they don't, like these aren't, a lot of these artists aren't getting paid. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. part of their promo yeah, tour. They, they just, you know. Right, make a big yeah. concert out of it. And what happens is that in return for the performance, the the radio helped them get their name out there by spending the record if they agree to come and perform at whatever festival it is. 
Texas, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, they blow you up real big prior to your show. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So so it's like a pretty, it's a, it's a cool little exchange if you, you know, if you got your team in order, your management team and, you know, you ready to come back through that city and, and, and do your own thing. Like a, a lot of it depends on you doing your own thing, man. But there was no compensation in terms of that particular tour. Wow. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's what people need to hear. You know, folks need to understand what to expect going into the game. So, all right, you're at the place now where you got off the tour bus, you got 5,000 CDs, and this is the beginning of the independent grind. This is the beginning of Naps Crew Entertainment. Ah, And this is why through (laughs) through that entire time we repped being independent so hard. You know what I mean? Right. Because it was like we had been scorned. Like, we young, man. We like 19, 20 years old, and we just – had all this anticipation, all this hype for what's about to happen with this major label. And, like, everything was just crushed. They get bought out. We basically get dropped and sent home with 5,000 CDs. Okay, so another artist, they find, like, this happens more than y'all realize. You know, there are a lot of people who get signed, especially being, like, being on the other side of it. I know a lot of records I got from people and then you just wonder what happened, you know, like, um, like, uh, God, who was the girl's name? She, there was a girl that put out that song. Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like hot me? Like and me. she put it out first, but then mm-hmm. next thing you know, her deal was over and they get a song to the Pussycat Dolls. Mm-hmm. But the record that was serviced mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. was a single female. Mm-hmm. And it, you see what I'm saying? Right. And, I, and to this day, I, I'm like, well, what, what happened to her? Right. You see what I'm saying? Well, they, they say 98% of people that are signed to major label deals never see the light of day. 98%. Oh, I can believe that. I believe that, too. Just, you so, know, just thinking about how many, how much dope music I got and never heard anything else from those artists at all. And there's been a lot of them, a whole lot of them. Tori Alamaze was her name. Tori Alamaze mm-hmm. was the original singer of Don't You. Mm-hmm. CeeLo wrote the song. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. Damn, CeeLo. Yeah, yeah. And then Damn. it gets passed on to the Pussycat Dolls. And Have you ever heard of Tori Alamaze? Never. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, I never played the Pussycat Dolls. And if you ever heard that song on my show, yeah. you heard Tori Alamaze. Wow. Mm. And the, But the thing is, you can't tell them apart. Hmm. That's mm. <laughs> can't right. go, can't even tell the difference in the two songs. Right, it's the exact same song. People don't understand how many stars, how many elements have to line up for you to become a superstar. <laughs> right, it's bigger like, than just yeah, getting yeah. a deal. Right. Yeah, because the deal is the easy part. Like that's just the that's your starting point. Mm-hmm. But like yo, so. One, you have to convince everybody that work in the building that they should support you, right? Like, so marketing, PR, your A&R, these promotion people, the people that they work under, like, you got to convince all these people that they should rock with you. And then on on the other side of that, you got to have your own team in order. You got to have a manager. You know, you want to be role ready. And then... In addition to that, 
you have to be mentally prepared to do it. Because most people, when they encounter fame for the first time, it go to their head, bro. I say 99.999% of people, myself included. When you encounter fame for the first time, it's like a, a humbling process that you have to endure in order to be able to bounce back from it. And a lot of people, some people don't, they don't take heed to the humbling. I mean, it's just, bro, it's just so many factors. That's all I wanted to say. It's a lot of factors that have to come together in order to create like a superstar status career. Right, right. I, like I, I was just looking at a, you know, just a sidetrack for a moment. But I was just looking at how Glorilla, you know, to put out "Let's Go." I'm F R E. She was talking about how um, she didn't get any money, any real money off the song because Hit Kid produced the beat, right, and sold the rights for fifty thousand dollars and used that money to finance a a project. With um all these girl groups from Memphis, mm-hmm. I saw that. I yeah, saw that. and um, <clears throat> you know, so she found out. She did the same thing. Went to the record labels and was shopping the single. And they're like, "Well, we can't." It, it turns out nobody could get the single, right? Because the single was already accounted for. But she didn't know that mm-hmm. going in with these people. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So the the right. grind, the grind is real out here. And even when you see somebody with a hit record, you know, like Glorilla, you're thinking that she's eating off that record. She's not. Right. And then even if you are eating off the record, the cost of promotion, like a regional hit, man, you can burn through $100,000 on a regional hit. Right. Hey, well, explain some of the things. What costs so much? You know, uh, like like I said, when you're moving around, you're moving around for free because don't nobody know you yet. So ain't nobody going to pay to see you. Promoters not going to pay you to come because don't nobody know you. Right. So that's so you gas, gotta, hotel, food, all on you. Gas, hotel, food, uh, whatever you riding around in, you got to make it look big. It's hip hop, you know, so the whole perception of hip hop is larger than life. So you got to come with that larger than life persona. You know, you got record reps, radio people. You got to take out the eating and, like, get to know them and win these people over. Um, uh, All types of promotional gigs you're going to have to do, just like those tours. You got to show up. You know, you might have a DJ. You might have a hype man. You might have some dancers, background singers, whatever you got going on. You got to foot that entire bill out of your pocket until you make enough money to reimburse yourself. And that could take a long time, man. Sometimes pe- people don't see it, bro, but some, some people push these records for two and three years before it blow up. Yeah. Yeah, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And if you know you got a hit, you need to stay behind it and believe yeah. in it. When What was your first stop? Like, okay, I remember watching you guys move with the – with the CDs and stuff, and you guys were always heading out of town somewhere. Yeah. How did you choose where you're heading? Wherever a, a huge crowd of people was going to be at, that's where we was going to be. So when you had your Apple chill, we was going to be there. Um, the, the bike fest at Myrtle Beach, we was going to be there. Like Anywhere there was a large crowd of people, we was going to go, and we was going to make our presence known. So that's normally how we determine where we was going to go by, like, what event was going on. 
and which events had the most people. Right, right. Hey, I'm I'm sorry. I hate to jump back on something you said too, but when you were talking about how you have to make people want to support you, even when you get a deal, you know that goes back to a lot of think about a lot of scenes that people saw on the Empire TV show where somebody walks into an office and they're performing for the suits. Like that's real life. You know, you have to win the office over, and they will work harder for you. I'm telling you, as a DJ. You know, like um, uh, artists that has good personality and everybody likes, that staff will go hard for their artists. Mm-hmm. So when right. you, during that time period, did you did you think that you were well received in the industry from the cats you met, or would yeah, you could do I it over it. again? Would you would you change things? If I could do it over again. Um if I could do it over again, I don't. I don't believe I would change it, bro. Right. I don't believe I would change it because, like, some of the connections I made, like, have been lifelong. You know what I mean? Like, even us talking right now, it's like a lifelong connection. A lot of the people I met, I'm still in touch with, still in good terms with. I like. I developed real lifelong friends out of you know a lot of the people that I met. Yeah. Yeah, so did I. But, you know, everybody ain't North Carolina cool out here. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, I'm I'm serious. You know what I'm saying? Something about, you know, cats from North Carolina know how to walk in a room and, and smooth appropriately. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. And yeah. everybody everybody don't have that skill. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I can, I can vouch for that. Brandon D knows how to work a room. You know what I mean? Um, so... What is your favorite moment on the independent grind? Like, tell me, uh, uh, you know, one of the success stories. You know what I'm saying? You out here, what's one of your best days? Best days? Um, it was a lot, bro. But I have to say, uh, being an independent cat that opened up for A&T Homecoming was a pretty pretty big one. You know what I mean? I think that year it was like when all the Texas guys was blowing up. So, yeah, like. Slim Thug performed, Jeezy performed when he was at like the height of his career. Right. And I was able to grace the stage before all them cats at A&T Homecoming. And you don't really see independent. I, I still haven't seen independent cats on A&T Homecoming like that. Nope, you're right. It's but dope. it came again from being out in the streets and like winning people over. So like it was this girl, um, her name, man, I forget her name. But I used to sell CDs at the Sitco near A&T. And, like, you know, whenever I would see her, she would support, buy a CD. She might kick it with me for a minute. And then um, she come to me one day and she say, Brandon, I'm uh, I'm the president of the Student Body Government Association, or the SGA. And we are planning our concert for homecoming, and I want you to be a part. So it's the same thing as me and Cab was just saying about, like, you really got to win people over, man, to make people want to support you, to make people want to see you go to that next level. Like, if you listen on people, like, people going to want to listen on you. And if you show love, people going to want to show you love. Hey, that's that That's that part of it's important to stay humble, even when you get a little bit of success. Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, see guys on the grind and they get a record deal and they don't know nobody. Then mm-hmm. it don't work out and they right back home. They need all those people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 
So, so you did it right. Tell me, tell me about the nightmare scenario. What was the worst days out there? Give me one of those. Um, I would say, bro, there was so much stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of like, and I, I guess it's some of the stuff that we see now with like rappers just being caught up in all these situations because it's like you from the hood, you know what I mean? Right. Like, well, some people from the hood, some people front from the hood, but it's a lot of people that's like really from these neighborhoods that they represent. Um, but all that to say, we, you know, we used to do throw a lot of our own events and a lot of our own shows, and. Um, it's one more one more moment that was a good moment, but first I want to get this thought out and then remind me to go back to that good moment. Indeed. Um, but um, so we would have events, and I remember one time we had this event at Montego Bay, <laughs> and like you know when we would do things, being that we was out in the mix, we connected with everybody, we showed love to everybody. People from every side of town would come to our events. And, you know, that's good for numbers. But when you talking about a bunch of hood individuals meeting each other from separate sides of town and alcohol and chicks being in the mix, that's that's like a, a toxic concoction, man. But um, one time at Montego Bay, we had this big event, crazy big event. Everybody came from all over town and they started seeing each other. And, you know, the north side beef with the south side and the east side beef with both of them sometimes. And, uh, and bro, like the biggest fight I ever seen broke out in Montego Bay. Oh, I wow. mean, this fight is so big. Like, it seemed, if it was 500 people in there, I would say 350 of the people was fighting. <laughs> like, wow. It, it was crazy, bro, to the point where security just, push some people out the door and lock the door. So there's people fighting outside in the parking lot and there's people fighting on the inside, locked in, and they can't get out. And, uh, and bro, somebody started shooting, man. And this dude from the south side that I knew, uh, he got shot in his neck and had the bullet hit him like maybe a, a few more centimeters over, man. That man would have died that night. Wow. But that was like one of the most like damn like I'm just trying to rap and make a living, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, and, and and dealing with this type of shit it was crazy. I'm glad I missed that night, man. <laughs> like you know, being a, being a DJ and being out every weekend, I was telling DL on one of the podcasts. I went through a ten year stretch where I had one of them nights once a year where somebody had, somebody would be dead at the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I had I had some of those moments too, man. Just being out, always being on the scene. Like I said, we always going to, you know, where everything is popping at, man. I've seen a few different people, bro, take their last breaths, man. Just being out in the streets trying to sell CDs, bro. Yep. People don't understand when you sign up for for the game. You know, you're gonna just by default. You're gonna see some violence at some point if you dealing in the nightlife every weekend. <laughs> you know, over you know, over a period of time you're gonna see some destruction. Right. And it's it's traumatic after a while, is it not to you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's part of what made me like really like reassess what I was doing and kinda of start to fall back from the scene as a whole. 
It's like just having so many of them situations on my watch. And it's like, damn, bro, like this shit kind of crazy. Yeah. Damn. And you told us to remind you of a of a good moment to go back to. We're going to jump back oh, okay. on, on that real quick. Yeah. You remember the, the record I had with Rico that Ski Beats did, the All This Time record? Yeah. So um, we are dropping that single. We used to perform a lot at the Blind Tiger, too. And uh, and Rico called me that night. You know, he cool as hell. He like, hey, I got my cousins, man. They're going to come and, and perform the song with us. Oh. I'm like, bro, I don't, I don't know your cousin, man. Who the hell is your cousin? They like Casey and JoJo, man. They want to come sing the song with us. Hey, yeah, hold on, real people, like real, real quick. Let's clarify. Like we all did this work in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Fantasia is from High Point, and Rico is her brother, and she is related to Casey and JoJo. That's their cousins, and their their parents used to have a gospel group back in the day, the Fantastic Barinos, I think is what they were called. Yes. So. Um, I was just I'm just bringing it home for people that don't know Brandon you keep on with your story gotcha yeah but then uh, so we get to the club and they tucked off in the back like I I've never even met I never even met these dudes until we hit the stage like the song dropped got them in the back don't nobody know they coming in and they just come through the back of the crowd and you just hear, yeah, like a bird. <laughs> and the shit just go crazy. But that was like, that was a real highlight, man. Oh, man, I would love to have been there that night. I know that was crazy, man. Yeah, that was crazy, bro. Get lifetime memories out of the game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Lifetime memories. You know what one of my favorite memories is? What's that? That song we did together. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is it? I, man, listen. You did that track too, didn't you? Yep, I did the track. We recorded it. We did it for one of the one of the CDs that he would go out and sell. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a a joint similar to what we're using right now with a little hard drive in it, mm-hmm. and the hard drive crashed. I lost everything on that hard drive, and wow. that that mm-hmm. song was on there, and I'm still sick about that thing. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen. I haven't heard that song in years, man. I forget the CD. I, I bet I can track it down, though, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that part of my mission to track that joint down for you. Yeah, the only, the only thing I remember about my verse is keep serving hit, keep cooking hits and serve them up like hot cakes. That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that too. <laughs> but I do remember. Yeah, that was that was some fire, man. You know, we had a lot of good times out here. Um, what advice would you give an independent artist right now? You know, if you if you saw a cat, like, nah, I'm not gonna say any independent artist. You y'all, um, you a new father, not too long, daddy in the game, right? So right, for sure. Right. So, what would you tell your son? My son about about him, going uh, into the game. I would tell him, one, that he got way more leverage than we had in our time, right? Like, like I'm telling you, like, we were selling CDs. So that just, <laughs> that lets you know right there. Like, it was just a whole different, it was like we had to be hand-in-hand. We had to be physical, had to be in your face. But 
now you got the ability to distribute. Man, you can record a song in your crib on your, you know, $1,000 laptop, maybe $500 laptop, $100 microphone. You can record a song and it could be available to the whole world the same night. That's so, true. Hey, would do you think it's harder for somebody to sell that than it was when in the CD era back in the day? Because, like, you know, um, when when y'all were doing it, you record a joint. Uh, SoundCloud ain't popping yet. You're taking it directly to people, and you're getting the money right in your hand. Those right. guys that get the instant distribution don't get the money either, though. You know what I mean? So it's a trade-off. Which um, is it better to have the money, or is it better to have the instant distribution? I think you got to combine the two. Like, if you can combine the two, I think that's where you're really killing in today's climate because, like, you're not really seeing, don't nobody put flyers out no more. That's true. Mm-hmm. And that's Physical something that it's not like there's no need for it anymore, you know what I'm saying? Things haven't right. changed that right. much. Right. But, you know, $250, you can have 5,000 physical flyers, and you can, you know, tear a few places up with that real quick. Um, and then if you promoting your social media on there, then it's like, you're going to win. You're winning. But I don't really see too many people take that approach no more. I've seen a few of the young boys that do. I was surprised. Posters. Yeah. The day of the, even the open mic nights, the day of they go plaster wherever they're going to be. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of open and I, mics. And I guarantee they, they stand out, right? Yeah. Shout out to Yellow. Word. Yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of open mics, you know, um, see, Brandon D is not just a, you know, he's not just a rapper. He's an right. MC. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. he'll he'll get on the mic and spit versus you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me about that, that side of the game, too, man. Uh, you know, a lot of... Like there are a lot of artists out here that have never, you know, have never com- competed with their lyrics. You know what I'm saying? And right. and I know that that I know you ain't never been scared to take stage immediately if somebody call you out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. so um, do you feel do you feel that that part of hip hop is absolutely necessary? in artist development now or, you know, cause guys are skirting that part of it. You know, they're not going out there and doing these open mics and, and, and freestyle battles and stuff like that. Right. I think, man, I think you gotta be wherever people are, wherever people are is where you want to position yourself. Cause you want to connect with as many people as possible. Like we got to look at it. Like I, I view it like a, a political campaign, right? Like, look how many places they go when it's election time. You know, from the president to your local um, city council person. Like, bro, they trying to be seen as much as possible. And it's the same thing. If you got a a project you're about to release, anywhere you can be where it's people at and you can connect, especially, like, sometimes it's easier to connect in a smaller place. Let's say it's an open mic with 30, 40 people in there. Man, you can end up talking to everybody in there that night. 
Right. Like everybody, you can establish a personal connection with everybody in that room that night. Make real so fans. I think real fans, real fans, people that ride with you to the wheels fall off, man. Right. So, so by doing that, you know, just for our audience, how long after, um, how long after you got off the tour bus, did you go out and live this life? For how many when years? You say this life. What's that? Uh, that's the the independent, the true independent ground. Where y'all are going out. You following the the large events, and you know. Promoting your own shows, the the Naps crew, heavy period. You know what I mean? How long yeah. did that last? Uh, so that lasted till maybe like 2008, and then from there, I started to. I just kind of got more into like, like I said uh, earlier. I was I was speaking on how like you have to go through a humbling process, right? Right. Like I seen by by you know through that time period, so we talking from like 2001 to like 2008, 2009, maybe some of 2010. Like I seen some highs and I seen some lows, right? Right. Like so, you begin to realize, yo, like you know, I know a lot of people, but all of these people ain't really for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it might be a lot of people with me when I'm out at events, when I'm popping, when I'm hot, when there's a, a track I got that's going crazy on the radio and different markets and stuff like that. But when that fizzes out, how many of them people are still there? Um, and I think that's when I kind of got more into my own lane of just kind of rolling dolo for real. I mean, you know, me and White, we cousins, we tight, so we're going to be family for life. But at that time, he had moved to the West Coast. Right. My cousin, uh, D-Rock, he was in jail. I had Panama that I was rocking with. He had got shot like four or five times, and, like, you know, he went back to South Carolina. So it was like I was just out there by myself. But um, So from there, what I did, because I used to sell CDs at gas stations, right? Like I would sell at the gas station and I would sell outside the club or these events where a bunch of people was at. But after seeing, like I like I mentioned earlier, I seen at least, you know, four or five people, man, take their last breaths being in those type of situations and in those type of venues. So I'm like, yo, I got to do this smarter. So I used to sell CDs at the gas station five, six, seven days a week. And then I said, man, what if I could go to a place where, you know, people are prepared to spend money where people are coming just to spend money. That's when I started. Yup. I started hustling at the flea market. So then like with the flea market, bro, I took that joint. I I went from New York to Florida hustling at the flea market. Like every, almost every flea market up and down the East coast. I went to selling my music and I'm like, man, flea markets is cool for real. I did that for my movie, man. So five thousand yeah. copies of my movie from at the flea markets, up and down yeah. the east coast, two thousand ten and eleven. Ah, that's where it's at, bro. Yes. And then from there, I'm like, man, y'all like, just dropped the, the gym. Market. You know that, right? <laughs> like seriously, <laughs> seriously, you just you just told the audience something that they didn't know, man. Hmm. Like you know, it's something that both of y'all just said. Hey, right? This is the lick. Hmm. 
Yeah, because you think about it, people go prepared to spend money, and yes. they really don't even know what they're going to spend money on. Right. So it's like if you got a cool presentation, you you know, you're nice to them, you tell them what you got going on, and it's nine me. times out of ten, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's me. Yes, right, right. And so. then if you think about it, too, most of the time, flea markets is way out the way. Like they way mm-hmm. somewhere in the woods, in the country, where they don't even expect to see Hmm. anything remotely close to what they consider to be a celebrity coming where they are. Hmm. Right. So when you pop up like that, it just got, it's got a, a, a everlasting effect, man. Right. Wow. So, so, so you, you make enough money, you made enough money to live hmm. during this time period though. That's why I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to let the audience know, you know, right. so you make enough oh, yeah, money to live. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. And some like and then from there, um, the flea markets was cool but it was real seasonal, right? Like mm-hmm. for in order to have like a great day at the flea market, your best days at the flea market is gonna be like them perfect weather days. Them seventy two degree days where the wind is slightly blowing to the northwest and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> them gonna be your perfect days in the right. flea market. And then I'm like, man, so what? what's next? What from here? And that's when I started um, I started renting out booths in the mall around 2010, 2011. So when you see a lot of these cats that's in the mall selling CDs, man, we started that back in like, uh, like I said, about 2010, 2011. And took that joint all over the country, bro, from coast to coast, selling CDs. You know, mm-hmm. renting out hotels 10 days at a time, booth rent in the mall 10 days at a time, food, gas, employees, all that, mm-hmm. off of selling CDs, bro. Nice, nice. Right. Yo, that's like, I'm telling you, man, this information that you're giving right now is priceless for, you know, for people. Of course, you know, not many people are going to sell CDs anymore. Right. But you're giving people right. a blueprint for business. Yes. Yeah, because look, the thing that I discovered, too, is that it's not even about a CD. It's about whatever you got that you are confident enough to present to people in a (laughs) professional way. Bro, one time, man, this was in Greensboro, but one time it was this dude downtown Greensboro, bro. He was selling a book, what he called a book of poems. It was probably 25 pieces of paper stapled together. And he was selling it between 10 and $20. But his presentation was just so engaging that I'm just seeing people just give him money, like, left and right. Wow. Off of 20 pieces of paper stapled together, man. (laughs) I mean, like, no graphics on it, nothing. Just, like, type, type font on white pieces of paper. This man out there selling. But he was confident in who he was. He had his pitch together. And he was just going for it. And people loved it. People bro, people love a story of somebody who comes from the bottom. It's like they vote. Like I was saying earlier, like you look at it like a, like an election run, like a campaign run. People vote for you with their money. This is how they cast their ballot. Oh, man, you good, man. I like what you're doing, man. Here, here go 20. Matter of fact, here go 50, man. Just, you know. Keep doing your thing, bro. Right. Is, is that what you experienced, bro? Man, the flea markets and stuff tons like that. Of those stories, bro. 
For real, yeah. tons of those stories. Even people that knew what I was doing just donated, just, you know, just yeah. passed it. Because they could tell when you focused and when you taking it serious. They want to see you. Right. They want to see you succeed. Right, right. So. Yeah, especially once people like Tyler Perry started coming around and people started really getting open to the independent grind, like, and they seen it go from, you know, this man doing uh, his stage plays and small venues to now he got movies, you know, to mm-hmm. he had DVDs and then it went from DVDs to Lionsgate distribution and real films. Like, bro, people love to tell that they were part of that story. Hey, and that's at, still, go ahead, my father. I was going to say, look at Alize Elise. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. You know what right. I'm saying? She did a whole lot of work. That's just, that's exactly how she started. Mm-hmm. She was another one of those independent yep. artists back in the day, right? You know, but I, yep. But I would give her the credit too. She always came right. with all the boxes checked, right? You know what I'm saying? Is it pressed up? Yes. Is it mm-hmm. produced? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm like, you know, it was always always ready to go, and then she jumped into another avenue and kept the same professionalism. Mm-hmm. And she's killing the game. Yeah. Right. Killing the game. Killing the game. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. That's dope. I said, damn, um, Greensboro, the triad, is um, like the New York or Cali of North Carolina. <laughs> it, man, it, I've always given Greensboro, the, you know, like it's the, it's the hottest stop from Atlanta to, to New York. Right, you know, but not a lot of people, not a lot of people know. But if you spend a little time there, and then you go somewhere else, you, know, you see it. Hmm. Yeah, because you got to think about it, bro. Like the one city has seven colleges. Right, uh, it's so a lot of you, diversity you, there. Not only that, bro, but if you beat up this one city, you know you got. Mm-hmm. However, I don't even know how many students are. At these different colleges in total, but let's just say 150,000 people. Let's say you make yourself known to all these 150,000 people and they're rocking with you. Mm-hmm. And then school year is over and they, they go, go back, back home. home. Yep. They're spreading your name everywhere they go. Absolutely. And they, and they also, and then the next year, they're bringing new stuff back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. And that's how, that's how that, that love for go go music and house music developed. Know, all of that, you know. That's that's the sound of other cities being imported into our area. Man, you got a great story. Um, I appreciate it, man. Hey, for real, for real. Like this, is something that everybody needs to hear because a lot of people think that, you know, like people think if you're not swinging for the fences and hitting a, a grand slam home run, then you ain't winning. And there's so many Bro. other ways to win. And there's so many people doing it their own way now. Like, it's a book. You remember the book, uh, Everything You Need to Know About the Music Industry? Yeah. So there's a new book that everybody is gravitating to. It's called um, How to Make It in the New Music Business. It's a dude named Ari Herstein. But any independent artist, man, I suggest you get this book. But one of the main questions he asks is like, what is your definition of success? 
Like, ask yourself what your oh. definition of success is because there's so many people making it in so many different areas and lanes right now. Like, um, so so after I got out of artistry full-time, I started managing. Um, you know, for, for a while I managed Jay White with his rap career, and then I started managing the Hamiltons. And, um, but, like, from managing them, like we took it all over the world. We went to Africa and, you know, we toured through Canada. But what I noticed on the Canadian festival circuit was like, bro, it's people with 600 followers that's performing at all the festivals in Canada. You know what I mean? Like everybody following has value, but they not, the end all be all like you if you talented you can still make it shake without a social media following or you can be building your following in the process of making it shake but like don't let you know whatever your social media numbers are don't let that hold you back or make you feel less than because you see somebody else with a million followers or 10 million followers or whatever like it's people out here, man, that's just straight getting to it in whatever area they want to. Like some people are um, in sync music, right? Like it's some people that don't do nothing. They don't tour. They don't do none of that. They just make music for sync licensing, for, for placement in films and TV uh-huh. and different things like that. Right. And they have a whole career off of it. I really that, wanted to get in that lane. That's that's something that I wanted to do, man. Just you know, never figured out how to get that that foot in. You know what I mean? Nah, it's a it's an art form to it, bro. That's the lane I'm in now. Like you know, I don't know if you know, but so I wrote records for um, bro. I got a record that was in a Tyler Perry film. I did records with Anthony Hamilton. Like co-wrote the record. Uh, I got I got credits on Elton John, man. Not Elton John, but um, Eric Clapton. Um, I got records with the tones, like, but oh, you can't just gloss uh, over that. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta give us a little bit more about that. Slow tell down. Us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell us how, you know, tell us how that, how that, all that happens. Um, so with Anthony, like I said, my my uncle is Eli is his manager, and he, like Cap was saying earlier, he's a big reason that you know we even me and Jay White, my cousin, even got immersed in the the, the music scene. But um, I think I was in I was in Huntsville, Alabama. I had a booth in the mall selling my CDs, and Anthony and Eli happened to be in town recording music. And Eli like, "Yo, come to the studio," and I come to the studio, and we just in there vibing, having a good time. And Anthony like, "Yo, man, you got anything for this?" And boom, it turned into a record, and then it went uh, it went on his Christmas album. And then the same record, that same record got picked up by Tyler Perry as the intro song for his uh, Tyler Perry's Medea Christmas. So if you wow. if you watch the credits at the end, you see my name in there and everything. And then that same record, Eric Clapton covered the record on his Christmas album. <laughs> so wow. Like, light, lightning struck three times, man. Wow. So what's well, your net worth now? <laughs> not not enough. <laughs> nah, I'm still I'm still grinding it out, man. But like Cap was saying, like I'm seeing 
I'm seeing the lanes of uh, of sync music. Right. Like I see where it could be a viable career, and I think it's way more open than it was back in the days too, Cap. And one of the things I discovered was, so people, everybody puts their emphasis on the music supervisors, right? Like the music supervisors that do music placements for the films. But the music supervisors go to these people called sync agents. And what a sync agent is, is an individual that will represent an artist's catalog or a label's catalog and plug it to, you know, like the sync agents have relationships with the music supervisor. Like music supervisors ain't really taking music like that no more. They're not really taking unsolicited music. But um, that's the way in the door. Make a long story short, the sync agent is the way in the door, Cap. Word. Hmm. Yeah. Man, that's good stuff right there. Very good stuff. Hey, I hope everybody listening tonight had their pen and paper out, man. Because, hmm. no, seriously, seriously, I've I've been doing this for a long time, and and I learned a lot talking to you. Stuff that I just, you know, either didn't know or hadn't thought about in so long. Like y'all talking about the flea markets, for example. I'm sitting here, all those mixtapes I sold, you know. I'm sitting here kicking myself right now. I'm going to kick myself all the way to the car. Hmm. I never <laughs> went to the flea market. What? <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to gear up for anti-homecomings. And, you know, I did a few homecomings with mixtapes. I used to go to Freak Nick. And I was, one time I went to Freak Nick with, with no money. I just had a, a bunch of blank tapes and a one double cassette player. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, just, I actually crashed. I stayed in hotel lobbies the whole weekend. Wow, you know, and right. I and I would plug. I would just go in there and plug my little um, double cassette joint up, right. and sit there and dub tapes all night, and then walk out in the street, sell them, and that's how I made my money for the weekend for Freaknik. Ninety four. Tell my dad, yeah, that's a grind. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm sleeping in the hotel lobby because there's so many people out there, you know. Yeah, just get a couch over in the corner and plug my little tape deck up and sit there and dub my tapes all night. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah, that's a grind. That's a grind, bro. And I missed out on the flea markets. Yeah. <laughs> tripping. <laughs> tripping. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I could triple my money. <laughs> right. <laughs> nah, you yeah. definitely would have tripled, man. Because, you Easy. know, like I was saying, like them, them environments – people ain't really there to spend money. Like they might, you might get a person to shop with you. My my ratio I noticed in the streets was maybe like one out of 10. When I started going in the venues where people was already there to spend money, it probably went from that 10% to about maybe 50, 60%. Right. Yeah, yeah, I had to, I had to turn into a salesman out there on the corner. You know, in in traffic during Freak Nick, you know, I'm like mixtapes, mixtapes, right. and then cats cats be like, "Yo, where you from, son?" I'm like North Carolina. I'm like I'm straight, <laughs> and then I start be like, "I'm from New York, son. This that hot fire on here. You better get this, <laughs> boom, give me." <laughs> And then they pop it in their tape deck. I walk off, and I hear Greensboro in the house. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Do whatever you got to do to get these things off, man. Right. 
You know what I mean? Man, time is flying, man. Golly, if I if I had known we could we would have done a part one, part two if I had known you had this much info to throw at us, man. I tell you. But um I ain't I ain't even know, man. I'm glad to have this conversation myself. It bring a lot of memories, man. Yeah, man. Yes, indeed. A whole lot. Like you you told us so much. And uh, like I said, man, for independent artists, I recommend everybody just listen to this podcast, man. You're going to learn something tonight. Indeed, all you guys on the grind, Brandon D, been doing it for years. And he just blessed you with all these gems. You know what I mean? Now, um, before we before we get out of here, because we try to keep this thing to the, in the 45-minute to an hour range. And we we're gotcha. going, going a little bit long tonight, but it's been worth it. Every second. What is the next step? You know, what's next? Um, and where you are now, you've done management, you've done some songwriting, you've had a deal, you've been an independent artist. What's next? Where do you go at this stage in your career and stay involved in the music? I want to turn, like I've had some, I wouldn't say minor successes in terms of songwriting, but it hasn't been like sustainable. It hasn't been where I can sustain my family off of the songwriting, right? right? And that's that's my goal for next year is like to be able to sustain my family off of what I'm doing from songwriting. I wish you all the success in the world. You know, I've always been a fan. Yeah, he got the same name as my brother. My brother's right. Brandon Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. he's Brandon D too. You know what I mean? I'm like, his cat named Brandon D. I gotta support this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I seen him at your party too, man. I ain't seen him in forever. Yeah, man. Um the, the two Brandons in my in my world. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Hey, I love both of you guys, man. Always been nothing but too, yeah. Always been nothing but love between us, man. And and I wish you nothing but success in the future. You know what I'm saying? I'm very glad that you took this time out with us today because I learned a whole lot. Matter of fact, I think I'm gonna hit the flea market this weekend with some music. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I guarantee you'll come up too. You know what I'm saying? Because I hey. promise you, some people at the flea market with CD players in their car. <laughs> I still got a, a stack, a ten stack of CD recorder. Yeah. <laughs> right, bro, one of one of my homies is like the biggest mixtape distributor in the country, and he still sells tens of thousands of CDs every week. So let me ask you something before you close. If it was a, uh, if it was one thing that you took from the convo tonight, what would you say that was? And I'm just asking for the sake of the independent artists so we can, like, you know, kind of circle back and highlight, you know, just standout moments in the conversation. So if it was anything that you took from tonight's convo, what would that be? The biggest thing I took from it and what I want people to hear is that you can make a living with your own product. Mm. Invest in yourself, believe in yourself, and you can live you know what I'm saying? But you have to know how. And what you did tonight was show people how. You gave them an avenue. You showed, told them how you did it. And, I, you know, and like you said, success, you have to define your own success. And for me, success, I've never defined success as filthy rich. Hmm. Right. I've always defined success as comfortable. Mm. And that keeps 
that keeps me, for one, keeps me humble. And, you know, for some people would say, hey, you know, you're not ambitious enough. But since I'm not concerned about having $10 million, I want to make sure that, I, that you know, I'm comfortable. My kids will be comfortable. And that doesn't, right. you don't have to be filthy rich for that. You know, sometimes it just means that, you know, I want to be able to provide a, a stable environment, you know, uh, not wonder where the next meal is coming from, stuff like that. Right. So since that's the the way I define success, everything you said to me has, has been a way to become successful in my eyes. You know, people, you know, don't get caught. Like you said, don't get caught out there on social media talking about guys with 10,000 followers and all this stuff. I, I'm i a DJ. I've been a DJ for a long time, and I still DJ on the weekends, and I can DJ as much or as little as I like. Mm-hmm. And that's without me going out here showing everybody every time I go DJ. You know what I mean? I'm not all on social media like, yo, look at me, look at me, look at me every weekend. Mm-hmm. Little probably four or five right. times a year I might post about something I'm doing. All the other times I'm still working. And, you know, to be 50 years old, still DJ on the weekends, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, Brent. Do you know the, the big parties they have in Greensboro for anti-homecoming, right? Right. I used to do one of the biggest parties. It's the DJ that joined every year. You heard about this. No, 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 I'm not heard about it. I'm saying I used to DJ that party. And I would make a certain amount of money. And I was out in front of everybody. Everybody came. It was probably 5,000 people at that party. And they would all see me there. And then I remember the next four or five years after doing that party, doing other parties, Mm -hmm. where nobody was really like, you know, either it wasn't a whole lot of people there. It was just another party. Mm -hmm. wasn't that big of a deal. But I made three times more money for each one of those other parties mm, than right. I did for the one where everybody was at. Mm, right. So the people that you don't see doesn't mean they're not right. eating or right. working or successful. You know right. what? You know what? This conversation tonight reminds me of was that the episode that? we did. It's time to capitalize. It's time to capitalize. <laughs> that's exactly what time it is. Yes. That's 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 what this is. Yeah, it's time to capitalize part two featuring Brandon D. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I that's... I gotta check that one out, man. Yeah, well, that's definitely what I took from it, man. You know, what I took from it is, like, I consider you successful. And, and you know, I've known you for a long time. I see, I've seen you grow from, from, from that, that 18, 19 year old guy that was out here. You know, I seen you get settled down, get married, have a kid, you know what I'm saying? And all that's, you know, all that's beautiful. And you're able to make a living and still stay within, in the business that you love to do. That's successful. Right. You know, so you, you, sir, are successful to me. And that's why I asked you on here, because I see you successful and able to continue doing what you love to do. And that doesn't always mean that you, 
you know, you're filthy rich or the whole world knows what you're doing. Just means right. that you're able to take care of yourself. And so I appreciate it, man. Indeed, man. Right. So congratulations on all your success. Thank you, brother. And I, I appreciate both of y'all for having me on here tonight, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. We appreciate you. Yeah, man. Great conversation, man. Got glad I got a chance to uh, speak with you because Cap J has talked about you a couple of times now. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It's good to meet you too, man. A uh, uh, um, a fellow flea market brethren, man. <laughs> no, that's yeah. Right. Hey, this dude to shoot your video too. Like, hey, for y'all that don't know, man, it's Brandon D. The song was called "The Cack Joint." That's D A space K A K space joint. And you can still find a video on YouTube. And Brandon mm-hmm. D's got a got a large presence, nice presence on YouTube. So if you want to check him out, see what he's about, or, you know, it's all there for you. It's good work. That song is fire. He got other fire songs up there. So by all means, check him out. Support. Is there anything you want to tell the people how they can um, keep up with what you're doing right now? You got any um, social media presence you want to? Tell them about. Uh, I mean, I'm on there, bro, but I can't even lie. Like, I just, I don't tune in that hard. So you might hit me, and it might take me, you know, two, three weeks to respond because I'm just not up there in tune with it like that. I just focus on everyday life. You know what I mean? Hey, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, but it's, it's my 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 Instagram is Brandon D LLC. Brandon D LLC, y'all got it. Yep, and check them out. Check out the um, definitely check out the CAC joint, man. If you want to see, you want to see North Carolina hip hop at its finest, the CAC joint. Like it's a, to me that's a top five song to ever come out of North Carolina hmm. from any artist. Mm-hmm. Period. Appreciate it, and that's including Fantasia, Casey and JoJo, Petey Pablo, J Cole, Rhapsody. This a top five song out of North Carolina. If you don't know it, it's time for you to learn. Check it out. Dope track. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Good representation. No doubt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we went back and listened to that joint again at night, you know, after listening to so much mumble rap and stuff, man. This dude spit hot fire on that joint. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that, that rhyme was What year dope. was that? What year was that? That was uh so that that record dropped in like uh, I want to say that might have been two thousand one two thousand two when Cap played it, and then it grew a buzz, it grew legs, and then once the um the whole label situation kind of phased, mm-hmm. you know, so that was probably two thousand three. Then we re released it in two thousand and five. Um. Uh, uh, a station in VA. You remember the Buddha Brothers in VA, Captain? Yeah, man, I love them dudes, man. A couple of them guys passed away since then, man. Oh, I ain't know that, man. Yeah, but they, I love they the had, Buddha uh, Brothers. They, they had put it in regular rotation. They put it in regular rotation, and then it made other stations start to pick up on it. So it was a record with like real regional success. Um, and then even 102 Jams had put it in regular rotation at one point. But this was years later after you first played it. So we released it in 2002. I mean, got the deal in 2002. And then we re-released the record in like 2005. 
and that's when a lot of places that caught on. We was more on our independent grind and just, you know, had a little bit more business savvy about us, and uh, we we put it out again. Word. Word. I just got one question about the label, the the, the single. Well, never mind. I answered the question. Go ahead, go ahead, deal. man. Yeah, because yeah, I was yeah. gonna ask when you left the tour, like you didn't owe the label nothing. Like y'all just walked away without, you know, just ended it. Yeah, it was clean because they had been purchased. And if you weren't a priority, like if you weren't a fabulous or a missy, like they mm-hmm. weren't really even sweating it. You know what I mean? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so we got out of it clean. Right. And one last question. What What would you say, just being North Carolina, what, what would you say would be the biggest struggle as an artist coming out of North Carolina? And, and the reason why I, I asked this question is because that a lot of artists that I talk to in North Carolina, they say they don't get the support in North Carolina. I would say if you don't get support in North Carolina, go somewhere else. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that simple. Like, right. leave. Like, go see some other places. And then maybe people will start to support you once they see, oh, okay, he's not super local. He, out. he in New York. He in L.A. He in Chicago, he in Alabama, he in, you know, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Like, sometimes people want to see you take the first few steps before they get behind it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, you know, that's just the nature of it sometimes. Um, And then the other thing I would say to North Carolina cats is like, man, it's really, with, with, with the changes in, in how music is distributed, it's really, no more excuses, man. You got people coming out of, you know, Kentucky. Wichita, Kansas, and like, yeah, <laughs> like the smallest yeah. anywhere There's in the world. Two Kentucky cats out here rapping, a white one and a black one. Wow. Jack yeah. Harlow and ESTG. Right. And both of them killing it. Oh, right. Both of them right. from Kentucky. Yeah. Both of them from kill- killing it, man. So, like, it's really no more, it's no more excuses, man. Everything is there. For a cat to be successful, it's all about their grit and their grind for real at this point in the game. Word. Well, we're gonna leave it right there, man. Yep. Sound like you ended it on on perfect uh on perfect terms. <laughs> well yeah, man. Like I said, man, glad glad to uh be able to chop it up with y'all brothers and uh anytime, man. Anytime y'all need me, I'm I'm around. Indeed, man. Hey, we're going to drop this outro. Hang on for a sec while we close this thing up. Hey, listen, this was the Capital City Podcast. That's my main man, Brandon D., on the line with us tonight. He gave y'all a whole bunch of info. Share this with people you know, man, because if I was an independent artist trying to make it happen, this would be where I start right here. Listen to this show. Right. Capital J. Capital City with Capital J. Alongside my main man. DL Glass. And we out of here.